get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Flashback Week on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, and we are looking back at the 70s right now. And we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and that is one of the favorite songs of one Dan Deardorff, St. Louis's own. And it's always great to talk to you, sir. How, how did you like Night Fever? You know, like I don't feel old enough already. It's Flashback Week, and you got to start with disco music. Uh, all I need now is to look at a bunch of pictures of what we wore back in the 70s, and then I can throw up. <laughs> I was going to bring up the plaid pants, but I wasn't even going to go there, Dan. <laughs> oh, how about the how about the shirts, the silk shirts with the balloon sleeves and the long collars? And oh, what a lost decade. Dan, were you a bell-bottoms guy? No, I was not. Um, I, I was not. Well, you know, first of all, not the big bell bottoms. Every pair of pants made back then had wide openings at the bottom. Um, look, can't we just forget it? <laughs> there's no, there's no upside to reliving what we wore, or or the length of our hair in the seventies. It was just not good. Hey Dan, what was St. Louis like when you came to town? Because people that like Michelle, she she knows St. Louis as a market in the twenties, and even when the football Cardinals left, I think St. Louis was seventeen. But when you got here, I, I believe St. Louis was the twelfth or thirteenth biggest market in America. What was St. Louis like in nineteen seventy one, seventy two when you arrived? Well, let me tell you something. I I grew up in Northeast Ohio, uh, went to college in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, went to training camp for the Cardinals in Lake Forest, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago, uh, on the uh, shores of Lake Michigan, where we'd get up in the morning during training camp uh, and and put on a windbreaker to go to breakfast because of these nice, cool mornings. And then we broke training camp and moved to St. Louis uh, somewhere around the 1st of September. And I thought that I had moved to the surface of the sun. I, I, I had never been anywhere in my life where it stayed that hot at night. I, I, I was in shell shock for a decade. And the humidity, Dan, I'm sure you didn't appreciate either. Oh, uh, we would practice on the floor of Bush stadium and we fried like bugs under a magnifying glass. It was, it was, it was beyond belief sometimes how much weight we would lose during the course of a practice. It was a, uh, it was a, a, an adjustment for me that took years. Dan, what was it like 
being a part of the football Cardinals at that time because Randy and I have spent a lot of time this morning talking about the Rams and the lawsuit that's going on right now with St. Louis and having having the Rams and the NFL kind of disparage St. Louis as a football town. But Randy and I were talking about the fact that when you guys and the football Cardinals were around, it was the thing in town. Well, you know, we were never, you know, the baseball Cardinals had been here so long and they were so entrenched and we knew we shared a stadium with Lou Brock and Bob Gibson and, and on and on and on. And, and then Ozzy and his generation. And, and, you know, we knew, uh, we knew we were loved by the community. We had a strong following. And, you know, I, I just have to tell you, as a player, I, I was more worried about two tall Jones than I was our perceived place in the community, uh, in the, in the fandom. I, I, you were, you're in the moment when you're playing professional sports, you are completely in the moment. You have tunnel vision and, you know, it wasn't until, uh, after I retired and went to work at Camo X with Brandy that, you know, then it all started to crystallize the big picture when the football Cardinals were going through the whole exercise of trying to get a new stadium and then moving to Arizona. And, but as a player, uh, if, if you've got time to immerse yourself in things like that, you've lost your way and you're going to get your butt beat on Sunday. Dan, I, I wanted to ask you this question because I remember vividly, and I'm a kid, and I remember when you guys started off seven and zero in 1974 after going four nine and one, and I remember the headline on the front page of the Globe Democrat and the photo after you guys get to seven and zero, and this is top the top half of the newspaper is about a football cardinal win on Monday. There had to be newspapers laying around there, and you guys are looking up in the stands and saying, "Wow, this is different." That had to happen, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we were we were thrilled and, and the town was on fire and, and, you know, for a lot of us that came from winning programs, I I'd never been on a losing football team in my life. As a matter of fact, when we went four, nine and one, my rookie year, those nine losses were more games. That was more losses than I'd had my entire high school and collegiate career put together. And, and so I was, I, I, I needed uh, I needed some uh, psychological help. That was tough, and and three years of that. And then when we exploded in '74, um, uh, it was it was fantastic. And uh, the next four years was well, all I can tell you was a lot of fun. Dan, I went down a rabbit hole last night looking at some of the injuries that you sustained throughout your career, the broken jaw, the knee injury, and I just cannot believe the mental and physical toughness required to play through some of that, to overcome some of that. Was there ever a time where you were dealing with injuries where you thought, I don't know if I can do this anymore, or was it just inherent in you that you loved the game and you wanted to continue playing? Well, I'd never been hurt until I broke my jaw in 77, so I... You know, I had a, a great run there, a lot of seasons back-to-back where, you know, I played every snap of, of every game. And then when I broke my jaw, that was uh, an eye-opener. And then, you know, I'm healthy in 78. But then the knee injury in 79, it was such a, uh, a catastrophic injury that I, I, I never really, even though I played uh, another four years after that, I, I was playing on one leg. Uh, it, it, 
I survived, but I was never the dominant player that I was uh, prior to that. And that was what was really difficult. And when I, when I made the decision to retire in 83, it was really, I was, I, in one way I was lucky, you know, a lot of guys get forced out of the game and they think to themselves that they can still play, that they can still contribute. I, I quit because I knew I couldn't even get through a practice anymore. So it was, when I pulled the plug, it was relatively easy. Hey, be- before we get to the next part of this, was it you that broke your jaw or somebody else? What do you mean? Do you think I punched myself or something? What is, How did that what is, happen? It was a game against the Vikings, right? Well, it was, a, it was against the Vikings, and, and uh, uh, we were comfortably in the lead, and uh, there was an interception uh, late in the game, and uh, uh, Mel Gray tackled the, the guy who intercepted uh, Jim Hart's pass right away, but uh, the Vikings defense had turned up field, and and – uh, it was really a cheap shot. It should have been penalized. It was three or four or five seconds after the play was over. But they had an all-pro linebacker named Matt Blair. And Matt Blair just speared me uh, right in the face with the top of his helmet, the crown of his helmet. And at the last minute, I just kind of whipped my head to the side to try to keep from getting hit. And he hit me right in the ear hole and it just shattered my jaw in two places. And that was my point. It wasn't, it wasn't just part of the game that it was, I wanted to, no. to get it out there that it was, it was a cheap shot. And then tell us about the next four weeks about how you ate and then how you came back. Well, I, 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 I actually was going to, uh, what they do is they put braces on your teeth uh, and then they wire them together. And, uh, uh, your teeth are clenched, and and the only thing you can get in are are liquids, coffee, broth, that that type of thing. And then uh, the reality is is that you start losing weight. But I was going to keep playing. But then what happened is uh, uh, the next a week later, uh, it's like one of these things where the snowball starts going downhill. The side of my face blows up, and uh, the, as it turned out, the the, the blow of, of getting my jaw broken caused my wisdom teeth to abscess. And so they had to re-break my jaw, go back in, pull uh, two wisdom teeth, and wire me back up again. And if that wasn't bad enough, then uh, some of the infection got in my mandible, and I ended up in the hospital for five days, hooked up to IVs, getting massive doses of, of antibiotics. And so the long and the short of it is uh, my jaws were wired shut for six weeks uh, and I lost 55 pounds. Um, yeah, I, I would not recommend that diet to anyone. <laughs> it's effective though. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no question. It was effective. And of course my teammates were so sympathetic. You know, they'd walk by my locker and offer me a sandwich and go, Oh God, I forgot your jaws are wired. You know, it's, it's, it was merciless. The other thing, Dan, I wanted to get from you, and then the next thing, we talked about how close your team was. 
to being a, a Super Bowl team because the offense was a Super Bowl offense. You had a Super Bowl quality return game with Terry Metcalf. Jim Bakken was a, was good enough to to kick in a Super Bowl, and you had a playmaker at corner, right? A Hall of Famer in Roger Worley. How close were you? For example, if the Cardinals would have kept Dave Butts, would that have been enough to put that defense over the top? Oh, I I'm, I don't know. It would have been a it would have been a big help. Uh, yeah, you know, Coriel got a lot of uh, mileage. Uh, the, one of his quotes when things were going bad, when he said, I've only got two defensive guys that could start for the Giants. And the Giants weren't very good at the time. And, of course, the next day at practice, every defensive player uh, uh, put a little piece of tape on his helmet. That It was said, Roger and question mark. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody knew that Roger Worley was one of the guys, and there was a mad scramble on uh, to see who was number two. But, yeah, it was uh, – if we won a lot of games, uh, 34 to 31 and, and whatnot, and uh, this was before the era of uh, all the rules favoring the offense. And we were close. We were close, but uh, uh, probably just not strong enough defensively. Dan, speaking of Don Coriel, so many people in St. Louis have such fond memories of, of Coach Coriel and his offense. When you look at the body of work and the impact he had on the game, do you think he should be in the Hall of Fame? Yes, I do. I, 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 know, I know why he's not, because uh, the voting body puts such emphasis on, on Super Bowls and, and playoff wins and all this and all that. Uh, Don to get into the hall of fame where I think he belongs, uh, deserves it because of his innovation and of the fact that, uh, his offensive system is still in use by a large number of, of NFL teams to this day. And, uh, uh, I think that, uh, he's been close. He's been on the list of finalists a number of times. And of course, Don's, uh, deceased and, uh, it, it would be after his death, but the reality is, I yes, I I firmly believe he should be in the hall. And when he when he came to St. Louis in '73, uh, people forget his offensive coaching staff was Rod Dahauer, uh, Jim Hannafin, and Joe Gibbs. Uh, a lot of coaching firepower on that staff. Hey Dan, as you look back. Do you have a favorite memory of those days in the 70s, especially the Cardiac Cardinals, 74, 75, 76, 77? Is there a game, a play that stands out for you in your mind's eye? Well, you know, Randy, the the NFL in the 70s was kind of like the wild, wild west. You you could hit anybody anywhere on the field as long as the whistle hadn't blown. And maybe my favorite play of all time was we were playing the Cowboys – in St. Louis and right at the, towards the end of the second quarter, we threw a touchdown pass to Jackie Smith and Jackie broke about four tackles on his way into the end zone. And, and the best part of the whole play was when you watched it from the end zone, because we're all running down the field, uh, trying to get in on the action and throw a block for Jackie, except for Conrad Dobler going the opposite direction. And, just about the time Jackie uh, is crossing the goal line, uh, Conrad is ear-holing Jethro Pugh at the 50-yard line. 
mean, he's, he's, he's running away from the play just so he can hit Jethro Few, who was on his knees. And he did. He just clocked Jethro just as Jackie's crossing the goal line. And it was perfectly legal. That, that's the way the game was in the 70s. It, it, uh, it was mayhem. And he did have some dirty plays. You had a front row seat to what Sports Illustrated called the dirtiest player in the NFL. Did you laugh at that dirtiness as he as the game was going on? Well, you know, it wasn't. You know, you know the word "dirty" has uh, a connotation that I, I don't think Conrad was uh, a, a dirty player in the sense that he never uh, tried to hurt someone. Now, did he try to hit you as close to the whistle or maybe that nanosecond after the whistle on every play? Absolutely. Was it Conrad's intention to get you so mad at him uh, that you take a swing at him? Absolutely. Because Conrad was a firm believer that it was impossible to take a swing at him and tackle the ball carrier at the same time. So there was a method to his madness, but madness it was. It was. It was, it was like playing next to the Tasmanian Devil. I, I, I could hear it a lot of times, but I didn't see it until we watched the film the next day. And I'd look at him and go, you know, you are a real blank disturber. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds fun, though. It sounds like it was. Fun. Oh no, it was. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Well, Dan, I also wanted to ask you about your broadcasting career. Was that something that you always thought that you wanted to do after you stopped playing football? I know uh, that you worked at Camel X before going national, and you, you covered Mizzou, you covered the, the Cardinals here. But was that something that you always had in mind as your next chapter? Yeah, I really did. And, and, it, and it, it, after I started at Camel X, and I worked at Camel X for, gosh, six or seven years, uh, I just uh, – I got looked at my uh, got my SAG uh, after card in the mail the other day, and uh, I've been a member of uh, uh, that union since 1975. That's uh, so my last uh, you know seven years playing ball. Uh, I worked uh, in the business. I remember being down on the field during warmups and looking up to the broadcast booth, and you know sometimes Pat Summerall and Tom Brookshire were were up there and thinking to myself, I, I, I really would love to do that. So, uh, when, when I finally, uh, got into a network TV booth, uh, it was a culmination of, uh, something I've been dreaming about doing for a long time. You're such a natural at it, Dan. What was the biggest challenge for you transitioning into journalism? Well, I, I gotta tell you that, uh, I, I think people like myself that did it for a long time, if, if, if they were totally honest uh, with someone when they said, uh, how difficult was this for you? I, if you? I think a lot of us would just be brutally honest and say, it really wasn't difficult at all. Uh, it, it, all I can tell you is the, the red light comes on and it just comes out. And uh, it, it, it was always easy for me. Uh, I always had a... Uh, I always had the ability to think ahead a little bit and, and, and formulate what I was going to say while I was in the midst of saying something else. And, uh, in that regard, it was, uh, it, it, it just came naturally to me. And I, I, I've always never taken it for granted. I've always been thankful for that, but 
that's the truth. Once you got going as the full-time host of Sports Open Line on KMOX, did you have a favorite producer? <laughs> yes. I, well, I, I had the producer that every other producer aspired to be. And uh, his name was Randy Character, And, you know, Randy, we, you know, there, you told me that this was Joe from, from, from Cahokia better than anyone has ever done that before. It was. <laughs> I, I knew my Joe from Cahokia. <laughs> we had, uh, we had a lot of fun. And uh, now Randy, you're, you're the great example of perseverance because uh, it's, uh, you started out on the other side of the glass and uh, to make the move that you made, uh, I, I never had to do that. I've, I started behind a microphone. You had to uh, work your way uh, from one room to the other, and I've always admired you for that. It's uh, It wasn't easy to do, and you stuck with it. Well, and, and the fact that I had boosters like you and like Jack Buck that were willing to go up to uh, Mr. Highland's office, to go next door to Mr. Highland's office and vouch for me, that's why I am where I am. I tell people I've been in the right place at the right time, and a lot of that is having people like you and Jack that uh, w- went to bat for me. Well, I, and we did, but I got to tell you, I went to bat for you. It was, it was never in Mr. Highland's office. Maybe Jack Buck went in there, but I was afraid of that place. I didn't want anything to do with that. I got one more thing for you. And in addition to a great Hall of Fame football career and a Hall of Fame broadcasting career, Dan Deardorff was a Hall of Fame restaurateur. And I want to just relive this with you, Dan. Here we go. Oh, I'm God. thinking of a steak. A thick, choice, juicy steak. Or maybe it'll be seafood, lobster, or swordfish. Chops sound good too. Pork, lamb, or veal. And for dessert, oh, this isn't fair. It's time to eat. I'm out of here. We hope to see you soon at Deardorff and Hearts, the choice of St. Louis, in Westport Plaza and Union Station. Now, that commercial's almost 40 years old, and once a year, somebody will say, I'm thinking of a steak to me. <laughs> well, that, 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 that saying has got legs, okay? Uh, we, Deardorff and Arts, we uh, ran that restaurant for 33 years. And in a business where 33 days is about the length that a restaurant is open, we were, we were very proud of that. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it just came time to... Uh, we ran uh, we ran a good race and it was a lot of fun and uh, I like I sold a lot of red meat in St. Louis and I'm proud of it. <laughs> what was it the the one steak in my life that I couldn't finish? What what was the cut of your 48 ouncer? Oh, that was a porterhouse. Okay, I, I ordered yeah. that one night and normally I can order a pretty large steak at least back in the day I could and finish it. I couldn't finish that baby. Well, Randy, that's four pounds. Uh, that you know that. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. I I'm glad that perspective. I, I'm not sure what that would say about you. First of all, if you were able to finish that steak, you'd be dead by now. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Hey, it's so good to hear your voice, Dan, and always great to reminisce about uh, those days. We appreciate you taking your time. You're always generous with your time with us. Have a, a great day, and thanks again. Uh, I enjoyed it, and. I'm going to spend the rest of the day trying to get the image of my 70s wardrobe out of my mind. So We, we always bring that up. Yeah. All, All right, right. Thanks, guys. Take care, Dan. Michelle, Randy, thanks. 
You got it. That is uh, Dan Deardorff, the Hall of Famer, with us on 101 ESPN.